You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, let's have a seat. We got a lot to cover this morning, all right? Um, just welcome to those joining us online. Um, we're thankful that you're with us. If you are joining us for the first time, just let us know that you're with us. We'd love to know that. And uh, for those of you who are new here this morning, we are studying the book of Genesis. And uh, we are going to complete chapter one uh, today. We uh, last week looked at the fact that on day six, God created man in his image. And we talked about the implications of that last weekend. There's, there's many uh, imp- implications of the fact that we have been created uh, in his image. We have value. We have importance as humanity because of that. Uh, there should be, um, from the believer, that we should never look down on someone, another human being, because they are created in the image of God. Every person is uh, special. And God has created mankind to rule over his creation uh, to have dominion over it. We were to be kings and queens over his uh, creation. We were to subdue it. And uh, God gave us, uh, with his, uh, created us in his image, he's given us the ability to do that. And uh, of course, we talked about the fact that as a result of the fall, sin came into the world, and it's more difficult now uh, to do that which God has asked us to do, but we are still to do it. And um, our biggest problem, which happened in the garden, sin, uh, God has sent his son to deal with that. We're going to be hitting that over and over again as we go through the text this morning. But he sent his son to deal with our sin problem. And now we are now again reconciled to God. And as we looked at last weekend, 1 Peter 2.9, now we are a royal priesthood. God is using his servants uh, as royalty once again to take his message of the gospel to all the world. So we want to return to day six and think about not just the fact that God created us in his image, but that he created them male and female. And um, um, I don't know if like 10 years ago I would have taken an entire sermon on this. I think after studying all this week, it was a really good idea we did. Um, but in light of our world and where we're at in our culture, um, what, a, what is a man, what is a woman is a, is a very relevant question. But let's not just like cast stones at our current culture. Let's just be reminded that uh, society's culture has been twisting what is a man and what is a woman for ever since the garden, basically, Right? And, and men are here, and women are down here, right? Many cultures in our world, even today, that's how they, that's how they live. And then the, what, what, we're in that ditch. Well, let's take the wheel, and then let's just jerk her hard. And what happens? We go whoop, right over what God says and back into the other ditch. And now, like, men are down here. They're a bunch of buffoons. Just watch your, you know, sitcoms today. They, they don't know anything. If it wasn't for the women, the whole earth would be destroyed, right? Like, that's kind of the new message out there in our culture. And, and, and so, just as we talked about last week, we want to understand what does God say? about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. He's the one who created us. He knows far better than we, especially we who have sinful hearts. And so we want to think about what does the creator say about what it means to be male and female. And what I hope by the time we're done here this morning is we would see his ways are good. They're very good. And if we would just learn to trust him and embrace what he says, we would have the best. We would have a world operating as he created it to be, instead of a world that is continually twisting and destroying what he made. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. Lord, we are so thankful this morning that... You are our creator. 
And God, I want to just be quick to recognize this morning that none of us in this room are exempt from being influenced by the world. Lord, we live in it day in and day out. We're inundated with its messages. And Lord, we would be quick to recognize that perhaps we don't have an accurate view this morning of what it means to be male and female. But God, we know you do. You know everything. You know what's best. And so I would pray this morning that as we study your word, that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Lord, would your spirit help us to see where we have worldly ideas and help us to repent of those things. Lord, would you help us to embrace this truth? Would you help us to love these truths this morning and then take them to a lost and dying world who desperately needs this truth? God, we want you to be honored. We want you to be glorified in what it means to be man and woman in this place. Lord, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, we're going to look down together. If you maybe forgot your Bible this morning, or maybe you just don't have one, uh, take, keep the Bible uh, that they're giving you as a gift from the church. But we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. As I mentioned in the intro here this morning, it's, it's not about what Trevor thinks. It's not about what redemption thinks. It, we don't care what Canada thinks. We only care what does God say. That's, that's our authority. He is our creator. He is, he is the one who has knit us together. And so we want to understand, what, do, what Lord, what do you have? And so let's look at chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And, and then we're going to break it down together. Then God said, let us make man in our image after, the, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Who does God say I am? First, you were miraculously made. You were miraculously made. Every single person was miraculously made by a sovereign God. We read, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. We touched on this last week, but I, I think it's important for just to remind ourselves that to be created in the image of God is, is, it was to do a particular task, but also God gave us a unique place on this earth. God gave us his communicable attributes, things like intelligence, knowledge, Spiritual understanding, creativity, wisdom, love, compassion, holiness, justice, and the like. That's not, a, that's not a, a complete list. That's just a sampling of what God has given us. We are a reflection of our Creator. And so God wants us to live in a particular way. We've seen in Psalm 39 one, uh, last week that God has knit together every single human being. And I want to just stop and, and recognize that maybe we have a wrong understanding of these bodies that we live in. I want us to think just for a moment about a theology of the body. Is, is the body good? Sometimes well-meaning people think, well, no, it's not good. You know, like it, it's sinful. And, you know, well, yes, we do sin, but is the body that you've been given, is it a good thing? Well, we've just read that God created male and female. And it was good. It was very good. This idea 
sometimes has been innocent, the idea of, of you know, the spiritual being good and the physical being bad. But the Gnostics in the early church, a lot of our New Testament letters were, were, were written at a time where this, this uh, heresy was, was going on. The Gnostics believed that anything done in the body, even the grossest sin, had no meaning because real life exists in the spiritual realm only. So do whatever you want with your body. You can do what you want. You know, it's, it's just, it's going to hell anyways, and, or going to the ground anyways, and your spirit will go to heaven. Is that true? If you were with us in Romans, you're like, oh, no, that's not true, okay? Why is it not true? Well, let's just think about this. First of all, God has given you your body. Every single one of you have been created uniquely. Not even identical twins are the same. Like even as technology goes on, isn't, isn't it cool how it just continually, like true science, like when we actually get, you know, we study it and we actually have results and we look at the, what we've seen here. Isn't it cool how it continually just to, to bring glory to God? But like identical twins, do they have the same fingerprints? Anybody think they have, do they have the same fingerprints? They don't have the single, same fingerprints. DNA, do they have the same DNA? 20 years ago, they thought they did, but now they know they don't. I just read a study from 2021. They said, no, there's actually some, some, some differences in their DNA. Even though identical twins come from the exact same sperm, exact same egg, not the same. What does that tell us? God has knit every single person together uniquely. And so your body gives you identity, Right? It gives you identity. You have worth because of the body that God has given you. And so what should we do? Well, Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We ought to take care of our bodies. It's a natural thing that we ought to do. And sometimes we need reminders that we should take care of our bodies better, right? You know, I'm trying, okay? I'm working on it, okay? So, but, but, but... The body you have is something special. It's given to you by God. Let's start with that. Secondly, God has, in his uniqueness, in his creativity, has created you with a particular purpose in mind. Right? Like, it doesn't take long to look at my particular body and say, that guy was never going to be a lineman in the NFL. Right? Physically, we're created differently. God gives different abilities to different people, and, and based on that, they have a certain trajectory in life. God has given us different kinds of minds. Some of you are super smart, and, and things like calculus are like, whatever, that's super simple for you, right? And, and, and as a result of that, you go on a certain career path. Others of you are really good with your hands and, and, and you can just figure things out like, oh yeah, this is what's wrong with that. And you, you're, you're really good at that. And God is using you to, to do that on this earth. All kinds of different ways that we're gifted. Some people are more gifted relationally than others. And God has knit you together for a purpose. You have value, as we talked about last week. You have importance on this earth. You shouldn't be continually envying someone else. God didn't create you to be someone else. He created you to be you. And every single person has worth. I've watched even... Um, <clears throat> with my daughter Hope. Um, with a brain injury. And, and seeing how God is... In His plan, is using her life to impact others. She's not the same as other people, but God still has a special plan and a special purpose for her life. Every single person does, has a, has a purpose. And so we need to use our bodies to bring glory to God. First uh, Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God in your body. Use this, this shell that God has given you for his glory. From the time you start, you breathe your first, to the day you die, that's, that's the way it ought to be. But we know 
After Genesis 1 comes Genesis 3. Sin came into the world. And so this body is not perfect, right? Because of sin coming into this world, our bodies are slowly breaking down, right? Some days it seems quicker than others. But you, but you kind of reach a peak at some point. I don't know exactly. It seems like maybe that's in the 20s. And then everything kind of starts going downhill. And we eventually die, right? As a result of sin, death happens. This body is not everything. It's special and it ought to be treated with, with honor and respect towards our Creator. But it's not everything. And we know that one day we're going to have a new body in heaven. One that will not break down. One that will be there for all of eternity. We'll be able to serve God perfectly. But in this life, even in the midst of sin, we should not be like the Gnostics. It's like, well, you know, my, my sinful nature, I guess I just keep sinning. No, we fight against sin. We say, it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. On this earth, we, 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 in order to, to bring glory and honor to our Creator, we are continually fighting against sin. And we're disciplining our bodies. And we look to Christ who understands. I, I love what Albury says here. The incarnation is the greatest compliment given to the human body. Christ's embodiment infirms the intrinsic goodness of the body. The incarnation also the greatest comfort to those in broken bodies. By taking on flesh, Christ fully stepped into our bodily futility and morality. Consequently, he is able to perfectly sympathize with our frailties. Ultimately, through his death on the cross, Christ experienced the greatest depths of bodily brokenness. And so, when we are hurting, when we're struggling, when we feel like the pull is so hard to, to go the way of the world, we can look to Him, knowing that He fully understands the temptation, that He fully understands that what we're wrestling through, and He's able to help us. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We want to bring glory and honor to God through these bodies. Christ has come that we might be set free from the chains of sin. And that includes our sexuality. I, think that's just, I just need to pull the car over for a moment and mention that. Because the world tells you what? You cannot say no to the temptation of the sexual. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's, we're going to get into this as we're going through this this morning. All kinds of different twistings and temptations that are out there and you feel like you're helpless i just have to say yes to this i'll only do this but not that and it's a lie we think about the woman caught in adultery what did what did christ say go and sin no more and that's only possible through trusting in jesus christ if you don't know him this morning if you're, if you're just here and you're trying to figure out life, I want you to hear this. You need Jesus if you would be free from your slavery to sin. But in Christ, we can have victory over these areas in our life. Of course, this body is not the full story and it's not the final story. We, as I mentioned earlier, one day we're going to have new bodies it says this in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so when you're creaking and groaning and you can't remember anything anymore, be reminded that this is temporary. 
and bring glory to God through this body that he's given you now as you await your new body. Every single one of you here this morning has been miraculously made. You've been miraculously made with a divine design. With a divine design. I've already touched on this in the the fact that we all have different giftings and and talents and abilities. But I want us to focus now on the fact that God created us male and female. Notice Moses used the singular in referring to the fact that God is the one who's responsible for creating humanity, mankind. Right? He created him, it says. And then what does it say? He created them, male and female. He created them. So unity and diversity. This is what we want to focus on when we think about male and female. The terms here are sexual in nature. As we get to Genesis 2, um, in a, whenever we, well, we'll get there next week, but when we get to the husband and wife part, and we're going to take two weeks there, so you're kind of like, man, I feel like we should have been talking about this some more. We're gonna, we are going to talk about this some more as we get to chapter 2. But the terms he's using here are specific in regards to our sexuality. Why? Because we've been given a certain sexuality so that we might procreate, that we might fill the earth, as we're going to look at in our next point. But God has created us as his image bearers, and he has created us unique in our sexuality, male and female. Now, it shouldn't be hard to understand, but that biology, biology, you know, take a biology lesson and you understand what's the differences, right? And those are evident right at birth. But, Matthews points out, there is an inherent distinction within the human family by virtue of their different sex roles. And this implies that other distinctions are also present. Anybody, uh, there's a few of us old enough to remember that. But remember that book, uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, right? What was, what was the whole point of that book? We're different. We are different. We are different. Did you hear that? We're different. I don't know how many times I need to say that because it seems like the world keeps telling us what? You're not di- we're not different. Well, we are different. And that's a good thing. I, hopefully we're going to see that as we're going through. Um, and this difference is complementary. It's a really good thing that we have both males and females. And the way God has done all this only brings more glory and honor to him as we think about being created in his image. Males and females are, are created in the image of God, and we both reflect different aspects of who he is. I just want to steal some stuff here from John Frame in this regard. He says this, Our sexuality pictures God's attributes and capacities. First, it mirrors God's creativity. We were created sons and daughters, right? And as I already said before, every single one unique as well. Secondly, the love of a husband for his wife pictures God's love for his people, like Adam was talking about earlier. Thirdly, men are to lead in the church and in their homes, and that points us to the authority of God, that God is over us. Fourthly, the submission of the woman also images God. God the Lord is not too proud to be what? What does it tell us about the Spirit? To be our helper. Christ the Lord is not unwilling to be a servant. Godly women stand as models, often as rebukes to all who would be leaders. And so there's this picture of, 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 of our God, both in male and female. He ends his section by saying, Women and men equally image God, even in their sexual differences. Even in their differences with regard to authority and submission. The reason is that the image of God embraces everything that is human. Both men and women therefore resemble God and are called to present Him throughout the creation. Exercising control, authority, and presence in His name. And so we are created uniquely as men and women. 
Now, the, the problem we, we fall into is that we try to be like, okay, well, these are all the male things. You stay over there. And then these are all the female things. And you stay over there. When it comes to our attributes, roles, there are specific roles that God has given us. And again, we'll look at those as we look at Genesis 2. But when it comes to things like our, our, our attributes, our characteristics, there are things that both men and women can do, but there's also things that men and women men are better at and women are better at. I mean, just think about physically. Men tend to be stronger than women. I mean, this crazy world that we live in where a man is now saying that he's a woman and now he's competing against women, guess what? All of a sudden, he's the best athlete in the world. Why? Because that's just the way God has made us. Males tend to be physically stronger than women. But it doesn't end there. I've used uh, Josh Webster. So, uh, Council for Biblical Manhood, Womanhood. Do you guys know what that is? I would really encourage you, as we think about this, and what God's calling us to do as men and women of God, is, is, is that would be a great resource for you. The Council of Biblical Manhood, Womanhood. They have a bunch of stuff on the website, whatever. But the Josh Webster is one of these guys from there. And he says, let's just think about how God has gifted men versus women and, and vice versa. First, let's consider nurturing. Nurturing. Men are not exempt from nurturing or exercising care. Do we all understand that? But women in general have been gifted by God to display this characteristic in a special way. Both scripture and human experience attest to the deep natural capacity of women to nurture. Part of this is built into human biology. For example, it is no accident that women are able to breastfeed. But women's gifting in this area extends far beyond caring for infants or children. Nurture is a unique part of God's design for women. It's just the way it is. Men, that doesn't mean that you're, you're to be careless. and like, well, that's the woman's job. I don't have to care. I don't have to nurture. No, you're still called to do that. You're just not going to be as good at it as your wife is. That's just the way God's designed it. He continues... Men, however, often have a greater depth to draw from when it comes to strength or protection. Paul acknowledges this when he instructs the Corinthians to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. God intentionally built this into male biology. He doesn't call men to protect their families because men happen on average to be stronger than women. Instead, strength and ability to protect are part of his design for men. The physical makeup follows the intended function. But this does not mean that strength and the ability to protect are limited to men, nor is it the case that nurture is limited to women, which is why Paul described his care for the congregation in Thessalonica as being tender like a nursing mother. So, we are different. And, and, and we ought to embrace that. We ought to celebrate that, that, that being a man, being a woman sets you on different trajectories. And, and that's a really good thing. I mean, how messed up would we be if it was just a bunch of men or just a bunch of women? I mean, based on last night's diet at that barbecue thing, the men's lives would be drastically cut short, Okay. <laughs> If it was just the dudes, right? There'd be <laughs> vegetables, like what are those, you know? And, and, and you know, so, and, and, and we need each other. And I think we understand that when we have a strong marriage, right? You first get married, there can be a lot of this, right? And, and you're like, why, why does she think like that? And why does he do this? And, and, and you're like, and you're just like, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, you're different, and that's good. And good marriages understand that, that I need to learn from her, and she needs to learn from me. And, and as we listen to one another, it's, it's a really good thing, right? And instead of trying to make each other like one another, we are to embrace what it means to be male and female and, and see that it's a really good plan. For a long time, our culture has said that whatever a man can do, a woman can do, and vice versa. That's not true. There are differences. 
And God has created each sex to be different and unique. Like you can see this morning, I'm trying to be super politically correct. All right, I'm just, let's see if we can keep that. Okay, no, I'm joking. But, but I, I bring that up to the point, to say, point this out. God calls us to be different. Boyce says this. This is, this is understandable that people would think that we can do everything the same. From those who think that mindless evolution is the means by which we have become what we are but is entirely incomprehensible from the standpoint of the Bible, which tells us that nothing is an accident and that sexuality in particular is the result of a creative act of God. He continues, Men are not women. Women are not men. One of the saddest things in the universe is a man who tries to be a woman or a woman tries to be a man. But who is superior, someone asks. I answer, a man is absolutely superior to a woman at being a man. A woman is absolutely superior to a man at being a woman. But let a woman try to be a man or a man try to be a woman and you have a monstrosity. It's a good word for us today. You know, one of the things I've just, that's been resonating in my soul as I've been studying this week it's like, this, this is so good. Why do we miss this? Why do we miss this? Why, why, are we, why are we always trying to twist and change what God has created? What he has made is so good. And, and so let us embrace God's understanding of what it means to be male and female. We need to understand that we are being impacted by culture. And we need to be, God, help me understand what you've called me to be. Not what John Wayne has called me to be, right? Maybe you're John Wayne. That's a man. That John Wayne, that's a man. Based on what? The cowboy hat? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what? And, and then, you know, there's this, this is a woman. And, it, like, no, look at the scriptures. Let's, let's go with what God says because it's really, really good. Let's stop listening to the lies of our culture. So we're complementary in our differences. But listen, we've been created equal. Created equally. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities. We have different giftings. But we are equal in the eyes of God. Think about it in this way. Think about the Trinity. Anybody think that like the Father's here and then the sun's here, and then the spirit's here when it comes to value and equality. Anybody think that? What do we believe? We believe that the Trinity, we say what? One God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But we know Christ submitted to the will of the Father. The Spirit has come that we might understand who Christ is and point us to Him, right? Right? They all have different roles, but obviously all equal. And, and, and so it's a beautiful reflection. Male and, woman, uh, male and female is a beautiful reflection of what we see in the Trinity. Different, but equal. Anybody who says anything different is from Satan. So, just, that's, where, that's where all these lies are coming from. When it comes to our salvation, we're equal. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's neither male and female. For what? For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And obviously, can I just point out the obvious? When, when, he, when, he, when Paul's writing this to the church in Galatians, he's not like, hey, guess what? You're not, you're not a slave anymore. You're not free anymore. You know, you're, you're not a Greek anymore. You're not a Jew anymore. No, what his whole point is that in Christ, we are one. We are all saved by the same Lord, the same salvation. We have equality before God. And so the church should op- operate in that way. We should, we should be celebrating one another. And so I want to, before we move into our last point, I just want to address uh, the transgender, transsexual thing that's going on. In our culture, what are we to do as believers? And I know that this is being pressed on you increasingly in your workplace and in school. 
First of all, let's just recognize gender is not fluid. It is binary. Male and female, period. It's not non-binary. It's not, I get to choose. Gender is given, gender assignment is given when God breathes life into you. And we get to see what he decided after nine months when the baby is born. And like, hey, God created a male or God created a female. And it seems to me like this is really hard to understand how, how we've come, we've, we've, we've twisted things so far that we, we think that we could change that, but we can't. God has created each person with intentionality, with care, with precision, with a plan in mind that provides equality. And, and, and as we see it in, 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 in this world where we complement one another as males and females. But we live in a world that is twisting this fact. Now, hopefully you've understood that to be created male or female, there, there's also all, not just the biology, but everything else that comes with it. But the world, in our so-called medical advancements, is saying, hey, we can now play God. We can decide if you're male or female. And so we will pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into surgeries and into medications to try to change what God has done. How is that working out? Hopefully you're seeing some of the stories that are out there of the damage that this is bringing. I mean, we should know as believers that this is wrong to start with, but there's something about seeing the impact and making you kind of rile up and say, we have to take a stand to protect people. Every single person created in the image of God. And, and so we should, we need to, we have to, men and women, we have to take a stand and proclaim what God's word says. We, we have to say God has created them to be male and female. And we to twist that would be very, very wrong. Of course, our young people are being wrapped up in this. Like every new trend, who's the first on the line? It's the teens, right? Lutzer says this, the population of young people who identify as gender non-binary is growing. One survey indicated that 27% of California teens identify as gender non-conforming. There is no doubt that the transgender revolution is a fad. It is yet another way teenagers seek their defensive sense of independence. And it appeals to a young person's natural desire to rebel against the status quo. One mother said to me that, his, that her daughter says, if you're not trans, you're weird. Now you think about the fads that were going on when you were a teen. And you think about the damage that you going along with those fans, fads did back then. Consider the damage that this is going to do to our young people. Irreparable damage to their souls, to their hearts, their minds. As, as the society is like, just do this. Just go this direction. And sadly, many of the kids who just couldn't fit in in class now are saying, well, maybe this is how I'll do it. Because everybody's celebrating this. Maybe if I go this way, maybe it will turn out well for me. And we should weep. We see what society is doing to our kids. And so we need to be courageous. And we need to speak the truth to anyone and everyone who will listen to God's good way. And then, Christian, you need to do it with love. Because that person is precious in the sight of God. And so you're going to love them, and you're going to care for them, and you're going to listen to them. Listen, some people are truly hurting. They have the thing called dysphoria. Where they are confused, they're legitimately confused. 
And sadly, instead of the world coming along like it once did and saying, listen, we'll, we'll try to help you. Now they're saying, well, let's just continue to help your confusion by making you go in that direction. 41% is one of the stats I've seen. 41% of people who go through with the surgery commit suicide. They didn't fix the problem. It didn't fix, like, like, like they were confused in their mind and now they've changed their bodies and they look in the mirror and, they, and they're just hopeless. And so we need to speak the truth. We need to do it in love. I love what Heath Lambert says here. To love transgenders, we must work, work through the complicated layers of sin and pain. A process that requires the relational context churches can provide. It will be the death knell if we say this is wrong, but then we can't help. People have to lean into their pain and not seek a deceptive antidote for their internal dysphoria and suffering. And so we should walk alongside them and love on them and care for them. And then thirdly, we need to point them to Christ. We need to point them to Christ. We, we, we tell them that God is, they've been created in the image of God, but there's hope. And that is Christ. And he is the one who has come to save their soul. Do we believe in the power of gospel to change people's lives? Let's be honest, church. Sometimes we're just like, well, it's just hopeless. Like if, they, if they're that, at that point, they're that far gone. I mean, can they really be saved? What do you think? Do you think that you're here and they're there and, and that, that they can't be saved? God saves all sinners. And so let's believe in the power of God, the gospel and proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ to them. Luther says this, God has humbled us and we must enter into our cultural decline, not with a swagger, but with humility and brokenness and transparency. This is what we need to do, church. That's why I want to encourage you to, to continue to be growing in your understanding of what it means to be a biblical woman, to be a biblical man, so that we can celebrate those things, so that we can lead the way, that we can model these things, that we can not just proclaim the truth with our words, but proclaim the truth with our actions. So may the Lord help us to keep our eyes on him, believing that the Lord has placed us in this place, at this time, in your workplace, in your school, for a purpose. Let us be bold. I don't know if this woman is a believer or not, but if you've seen that clip of the Italian prime minister and what she said recently, that's a picture of boldness. And just incidentally, by the way, she just won the election in Italy. Don't believe the media. Don't believe your government that nobody wants to hear the message that you have. There are many people who desperately want to hear it and need to hear it. And so God help us. Last thing, you were miraculously made with a divine design to fulfill a particular purpose. To fulfill a particular purpose. We see this in verse 28. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's incredible plan was to give us the ability to produce life. He blessed humanity and told us to have children and to fill the earth. His blessing indicates not only his desire, but his favor. As Moses will remind them as they get to Genesis 12, you think about Abraham, where do children come from? Yes, God has given us the ability to have children, but we still need God to bring life. He is the author of life. I love what Ross says here. For believers, childbirth is an act of worship, a sharing in the work of God, the one who created life. I love this church family. I love how many kids are here. It's amazing. It's so good. And we ought to praise the one who gave us the ability to have children and ultimately remember that they are his and bring glory and honor to him through our parenting. Adam and Eve and all married couples after have been told by God to get married and have children. That's the general expectation of humanity. It started with the two. And I looked, November 15th of this year, we're going to hit 8 billion people on this earth. When we planted the church, there were 7 billion people on this earth. 
It wasn't until like 1804 that we're a billion people on this earth. So right now, the current trajectory is going uh, really good, okay, in regards to filling the earth. And that's what God called us to do as male and female. Now, again, thinking about our context, this was really an important message to the people of Israel. Because in the cultures around them, you would go to the fertility cults if you wanted to have a baby. You just, if we do the right things, then maybe the, the gods out there will give us life. And he's saying, listen, I am the author of life. I am the one who's made it possible that male and female have, have children. And so look to me. Now, obviously, having children, looking around, looks like we're a pretty, pretty adult crowd here. But it comes from what? Sex, right? Has the world twisted that as well? God gave us an incredible gift in sex. But the world has taken it and trampled it. You think about what's happened over the last 60 years in North America. The sexual revolution where you're told that you should practice sex in whatever way you want, with whom whatever you want, whenever you want. What has been the results of that? STDs, divorce, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, single-parent homes, relational trust and intimacy are being destroyed. Homosexuality is on the rise. Now we see the transgender thing going on. It's not, it's not going this way. It's going up. Everything, all the negatives are going up. Destruction is happening because we are not following God's plan. You mention words like abstinence and people will laugh at you. Any kind of media out there and you think about virginity and you're mocked out. But I want us to hear, I want us to understand this morning, God's plan is a really awesome plan. One man, one woman, married, having sex for life together. Just the two of them. And it's a really good thing. All other plans bring destruction. Do we believe that this morning? Listen, I, I'm not stupid. I know we're all dealing with with this in one way or the other right now. Personally, you may be struggling with lust, temptations. This morning, repent. Repent and believe. Believe in God's good way. If you're unmarried, wait till marriage. If you're married, it's just between you and your wife, and it's a really good thing. Let us show the culture that the gospel is powerful. The gospel can change lives. That holiness and purity are super good things. Let us be examples to our culture. Maybe just one last thing as we're thinking about this command to go into the earth and, and uh, multiply and fill the earth. Is it for everyone? No. It's generally for everyone? Yes. But the Apostle Paul, are we thinking that he didn't do well because he was a single guy? No, God had a special plan for him. What we used to call in Bible colleges, some people have the gift. All right? Like some people, that, that's not a desire for them to be married. And that's okay. That's a good thing. And they should, they should celebrate that and live their lives out. And Paul's, Paul elevates that, that and says, like, you're not a secondary citizen. You, you're, you're, you're being used in the kingdom of God, and that's a really good thing. Does God give every married couple children? Not always. For reasons that only God knows. But the general principle is that you should grow up, 
You should dream about getting married. That's a good thing. And having children, that's a really good thing. This was God's design for you and I. It says in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God's ways are really good. Do we believe that this morning? Who does God say I am? You were miraculously made with a divine design to fulfill a particular purpose. God is good. Very good. Let us bring honor and glory to him through the bodies that he has given us. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for our time together this morning. And God, our hearts are heavy when we consider how this world has taken your good plan and they have trampled it in so many different ways. And the fruit of that is that there's heartbreak, there's de- depression, there's suicide. And God, we're praying that you would give us boldness. We're praying that you would increase our love for the lost and that, Lord, you would give us holiness and purity and that we would be examples of what it means to be a biblical man and a biblical woman, a redeemed man, a redeemed woman. Lord, may we point many people to Christ as we proclaim hope in him, as we lovingly stand on your truth. Lord, would you change this culture? Would you save this culture? Would you be gracious and redeem them through the blood of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.